So in Christ alone, that is my battle cry for 2024. What would it look like? What would it look like if we live 2024 in Christ alone? And what would that entail? I mean, part of that is living in his word, right? Jesus was very clear. Those who abide in my word and my word abides in them. Now, these are, these are my disciples. These are my disciples. And then they'll know the truth and the truth will set them free. You know, when as, as we've been working through this, uh, this glorious gospel uh, that Dr. Luke wrote, uh, we've come to some fairly strange portions of Scripture. Now, by strange, don't misinterpret. I think this our whole experience on this fallen world, this uh, chaotic little world we live in, this mud heap down here, is, is strange. It's strange anyway. And so what we've been adapted, we've adapted our whole sensibility to a fallen world. It's even hard to even imagine what, what heaven would look like, what the eternal state with no more tears would even look like. So when we come to really reality unpacked before our eyes and what should be in the life of Jesus, often it seems enigmatic, it seems strange. His own disciples that were following him until the power of the Holy Spirit overcame them on Pentecost, and exactly as Jesus had prophesied, the Holy Spirit's going to be poured out, and he's going to bring to your remembrance, and I'm going to add my little commentary, all those things that you had no idea that I was talking about. You had no clue when I was telling you, but he'll bring to your remembrance, and then he'll give you understanding and insight. <clears throat> and certainly that was the case, and out of that flowed the Gospels, and well, out of that flowed the birthing of the church. So what we're going to look at this morning is, a, is an interesting passage, and it's very easy to see Jesus and just describe it and then go on. The next three weeks, we're going to unpack these two very significant events, not too dissimilar to what we did with the triumphal entry. Many of you came to me and said, you know, I had never really seen how clear it was, and I never really understood the significance of Jesus well, coming in as king and then, uh, you know, giving him a king's parade, and yet he was on the back of a donkey, and now I see he was both the suffering servant and the king merged into one, and that really, and many of you said that really helped. Well, I think this is going to do the same. This is a strange passage of Scripture. Now, before, and again, when I say strange, it's easy to read it and just kind of read it through. And think, okay, he cried about the town, and he went in, and he overturned the money changers' tables. Okay, that, that was interesting. I don't really know why he did that, but I know he did that. Many of you know the stories. But we're going to plunge a little bit more, <clears throat> and we're going to go deeper this morning over the, in, in over the next few weeks and try to see what was Jesus doing. This had so much prophetic significance. And... It's not just a history lesson. This is informative for me in the 21st century, living in the place called the Coachella Valley that, to be honest with you, the vast majority of people that come here have no real interest in this. Now, how they see themselves, uh, why don't we have a church on every corner? Why don't we, you know, it's not why people come here. It's not the way they think of life. Many that come here, they don't think in these terms. And how should we respond to that? And this is going to help us understand. Does that make sense? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we need your, we need, we're trying to study your words. Jesus, you told us to abide in your words and by extension, 
your activity, the path that you walked. Help us, give us insight over this next few weeks as we plunge into these very interesting things that you did and help us understand the significance of why you did them and the import that will have on our lives. We need the Spirit to do that in Jesus' name. Amen. I want you to go to first, before we look at Luke, I want you to go to John chapter 14. Again, Jesus promised the coming of the Spirit. The promise, the great promise to Abraham, uh, many say, well, what was the promise? It was the seed. That's true. What was the promise? Well, Paul actually says in Galatians that the promise was the Spirit. The long-awaited promise is God being able to dwell on the inside of us where we actually become a living temple. He's not interested in religion. That's us trying to claw from outside in. He wants to come and live on the inside of us. So in that context, he said, and I've got to tell you, this passage of Scripture, I still don't completely understand. <clears throat> I just, I don't get it. I, it. It boggles my mind that he even said it. And there's a part of me that wants to discount it and said, well, that was for those original, you know, 12 less Judas replaced by Matthias. You know, that was for those original disciples, apostles, the original 12, and then you had Paul and a few of the other apostolic folks, kind of for them, but not really for me. I don't really think in these terms, but listen, if we can extend it and say, well, if God is still, if Jesus is still building his church, these activities still need to be happening in some form or capacity. Listen to what he says, John chapter 14, verse 12. Truly, truly, I say to you, truly, now get it, truly, not just one truly, this is real. I, this is the honest truth. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And then this is the mind-boggling part that I don't understand. And greater works than these he will do because I'm going back to the Father. I'm going back to the Father. He was predicting, again, his death, but obviously, implicitly, he's also predicting his resurrection and has been ushered back into a realm that we do not have access to with our normal faculties, a dimension called heaven where he is now seated at the right hand of the Father. That doesn't mean they're always sitting on thrones. It's just a position of ultimate authority with the Father in the heavenlies. But he said, because I'm going back, the work that I've started, you're going to have to continue. You're going to have to do that work. Now, <clears throat> some say, well, that's just the apostles, the early work, and they planted the church. No, anyone who believes in me, we're going to do the works that he did and even greater works than these. Halfway around the planet, in a place called the Coachella Valley, works are still going to be being accomplished. And if it, when that is in my head, everything that Jesus said and did, remember, the works that I did, the, the paths that I went through. Uh, if you've ever been with me to Israel or if you've ever been to Israel, many go through the stations of the cross and they go down, they do the Via, Via Della Rosa and they kind of walk that path that Jesus walked. And that's all good and fine. I think it's very it's a poignant moment for many, and many have really an experience as they do that, imagining Jesus carrying his cross through those little, obviously it's different now, but through those little alleys, and then finally, you know, hanging, hanging for the sins of the world on that cross. 
But what about actually following Jesus' steps? And we looked at this a number of weeks back, if you'll remember, we talked about the donkey brigade, right? Are we going to come with kingly authority and marry that with a level of humility, and it was represented being on the back of a donkey, and go into culture in a gentle and and yet authoritative way and present the gospel to a culture that is in desperate need of the gospel? So I've challenged us and myself, okay, let's be part of the donkey brigade. The next movement, the next activity of Jesus will seem somewhat enigmatic, but it's not. Now, the title of my message is Jesus, Enemy of the State. Jesus, Enemy of the State. What does that mean? Well, I just kind of did that so I could grab your attention a little bit. But in many ways, we're going to see that that's absolutely the way many saw him. He was an enemy of the state. The Sadducees saw him, the politically, that those that had kind of worked in concert with the Roman overlords, uh, and they were the kind of the high priestly class. And then the Pharisees, uh, they didn't, they, they considered him an enemy of what they were trying to accomplish. And, and everybody saw Jesus as an enemy of the state. So we're going to see how that works out. And even more specifically, we're going to see it in the life of Jeremiah. Because if you don't understand the ministry of Jeremiah, I do think we can't possibly understand about what we're about to read. A couple of months ago, I felt like the Lord just put it on my heart. I just want you to, I, I didn't hear a voice. It's just how it kind of works with me. I want you to study the prophet Jeremiah. I want you to study the prophet Jeremiah. And 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 as usually is the case, when I kind of hear that voice, and then something I'll see something, and then I'll see another thing, and then something will come on, and I'll see something about Jeremiah, and then and then I'll read a devotional will be about Jeremiah, and then and of course I've taught out of Jeremiah for years, but to really sit and think about the work and the prophecy of Jeremiah. We're going to talk a little bit about Jeremiah. If you can understand the work of Jeremiah, you will understand what Jesus is about to do here. And then by extension, you'll understand it's still instructive for us today. Are you ready? Here we go. Luke chapter 19, verse 41. Now, when he had approached Jerusalem, he saw the city and he wept over it. Okay, just stop there for a minute. I just want you to try to, even if you need to close your eyes for a second, ima- let's not just read this as a narrative. Let's imagine, let's place ourselves somewhere near observing Jesus. It, imagine Jesus, he's, there's a donkey, there's, he knows he's been prophesying his death, to, his disciples don't understand it. And he gets up on the crest of that hill, and he'd been in Bethany, Bethphage, and looking down, and he looks at the city, and he just starts weeping. What, what, have, what would have provoked that? Well, he, he knew exactly what was coming down the road. It wouldn't be for another 35, 40 years that this would happen. But he knew destruction was imminent. He could, he could see, he knew that there was going to be rebellion among the Jews and uh, against Rome, and they were going to come and leave it utterly desolate. He knew that. And he said, if you had known in this day, even you, the things which make for peace, but now they've 
actually been hidden from your eyes. They were so entrenched in the way they thought about reality and their destiny as a people that they couldn't even see it. It had been closed to their eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will throw up a barricade against you and surround you and hem you in on every side. And they will level you to the ground. And your children within you. And they will not leave in you one stone upon another because you did not recognize the time of your visitation. Now, I'm going to go ahead and read the next portion, and then we'll go back and look at this. And then Jesus entered the temple and began to drive out those who were selling, saying to them, it is written, and my house shall be a house of prayer, but you have made it a robber's den. Essentially, he's, he's saying there's idolatry right in the middle of the place that God's presence is supposed to dwell, and there are more people here concerned about making a buck than there are about the glory of my Father. And he was teaching daily in the temple, but the chief priests and the scribes and the leading men among the people were trying to destroy him. Why? Their eyes had been closed to the things that make for peace. And they could not find anything that they might do, for all the people were hanging onto every word that he said. What do we do with this? What does this even mean? Well, it's, it's easy. We could just, we could go, we could fly right through here. We could just say, yeah, I mean, he knew that Titus and his armies were going were gonna to roll in and they were just going to level and not one stone would be left upon another. There are other places that we'll see in Matthew 23 as an example. Oh, how I desire to gather you. Jerusalem as a hen gathers her chicks, but you wouldn't have it. You won't see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus knew what was coming. And if we, went, if we go back some five to six hundred years prior to that, we would see Jeremiah and the ministry of Jeremiah, and we would see the exact same thing being played out. Jeremiah had become an enemy of the state. Who wants to hear that? Who wants to come to church even today, the last day of 2023? And hear that. We need some encouragement, man. We need some, right? There is encouragement embedded in this, but the bad news is, once we hear the bad news, we can understand the good news. But not only was it being played out in the life of Jeremiah, which is extraordinary. What a prophet. 40 plus years of ongoing prophecy through the lives of five different kings. He started his ministry in the 13th year of Josiah, one of the very few, maybe five righteous kings of the southern kingdom, which would become known as Judah, or where we etymologically get the word, where we say Jew, a, a person is a Jew. Uh, the 10 lost tribes of the house of Israel, you know, that happened in, in 722. And then finally we get down to this place where it is just Judah and Benjamin. So Josiah, and then after Josiah, only three months Jehoahaz comes in and he's only there for three months and his, it's a disaster. And then Jehoiakim uh, comes in and he, he lasts about 11 years and he is utterly wiped out by Nebuchadnezzar. 
In fact, he's slaughtered by Nebuchadnezzar of the Babylonians and thrown outside the city without even a proper burial. After him, Jehoiakim. Jehoiakim didn't last very long. There's this ongoing alliance with Egypt and, and, and not Babylon and Egypt will protect us. And Jeremiah keeps preaching over and over and over that Babylon is God's servant in this. He is coming in. He's going to destroy the city, acquiesce with what God is doing, and you'll live. And, but he had, they saw him as an enemy of the state, maybe even a proxy for Nebuchadnezzar, a ruthless king, by the way, of the Babylonians. Jehoiakim was taken all the way back to Babylon and served in prison for about 37 years. And then finally, Zedekiah, the last king in the line of all kings, starting with Saul and then David and Solomon in the glory years, and then finally, King Zedekiah, and he's a shiftless guy. I mean, by the way, these kings were extremely wicked. There was incestuous relationships going on. There was child sacrifice. There was idolatry. It was just, it was a disaster. And here's Jeremiah, you know, getting, and God didn't even let Jeremiah get married or have a family, he said, because your family will be, you'll, you'll, you'll be made desolate. You'll lose your family. So here he is getting on, putting on his, putting on his shoes every day, you know, sandals, whatever, walking. What do you want me to say today? You know? And if you read the prophecy of Jeremiah, it's just over and over and over, you see the same thing, the weeping prophet. That's what Jeremiah is known as, is the weeping prophet. I have a message and it is not good news. But then there's restoration in Jeremiah. He's the first one to talk about a new covenant in very explicit terms in Jeremiah 31. Talk about a new shepherd. There's a place of restoration, not only for Israel, but for the entire world. A new shepherd is coming. So there's places and hints of a future hope, but currently bad news. I've got, to, I've got to be honest with you. I mean, I spend, I don't know, what, five, six hours a week teaching through the Bible. I mean, I love just talking about fun and exciting and great things. What I have learned that is if I want to see lasting fruit, lasting fruit always comes with a very clear articulation of the problem and the dire straits that someone is in and before they're going to have a massive restoration even possible. You know, if we're just telling people that God's primary interest is just to make your life happy, that might get me all kinds of likes and thumbs up and get me even on TV and maybe get me in front of millions of people. Who knows? You know, people like to hear that. They need a little encouragement. But as I go back through Jeremiah and the workings of really all the prophets and Jesus and now a clear articulation of the gospel in the 21st century right here in the Coachella Valley, it always necessitates a place where people are going to go, now that is an enemy of the state. Why do we want that guy? Why is that guy even here? He's telling us all this horrific news. The news is bad outside of Christ. If you don't understand the things that make for peace, even in the 21st century, if you don't understand those things, 
you are in a dire place. In fact, the Bible says that the wrath of God abides on you. Boy, we're sure glad we came this morning. You know, this is just fantastic. I'm glad that we made our way, got up and thought about, you know, coming for... But I promise you, if we understand this and we can eat this and abide in these words, see, what I want for 2024 is I don't want my circumstances just to be good. My 2023, I look back and our circumstances in so many different ways stunk. I mean, we've had a stinky 2023. And what preceded that? A couple of years of COVID and not being able to meet and all that. If I'm looking to 2024 and I just want, and I do want my circumstances to get better. I really do. I'd like for all kinds of health to break out in our family and restoration and good relax. I'd like for all that stuff to happen. I really, really would. I'm just, Lord, I'm telling you, I really, really would like for that to be the case. But deep down, somewhere in my deep spiritual DNA, I want to see fruit. I want to walk in the path of Jesus and then by extension, the prophets. Look, fruit never comes unless you first really, you've got to break the hard ground. You can't plant, you don't, don't expect to throw seeds out because the birds will just come and eat it right off the top of the, off the ground. That's what Mark 4, Jesus' parable. Sometimes the ground has to be broken up and it starts with, and all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You need to understand what makes peace between you and your creator. And if and when you do, then things can change. Not you just being good, not you just being philanthropic, not you just being a nice guy or a nice gal or someone that cares about others. And however that it, however you might want to define love, it starts with an understanding that there is a separation between you and your creator. That is bad news, but it leads to an understanding of the gospel, which leads to peace. That's what it means to understand for the things that make peace. So here we see really two recorded events that are signifying that Jesus was walking, are you ready for this, in the footsteps of Jeremiah in many ways. You know, as we're going to see this why did he go in and start turning over? And I should have brought some tables out here. I would have liked to, you'll, you would have remembered that, wouldn't you? Well, I do have a little table here, so sorry if this breaks, but should I do this? You know, and it is a turning this thing over and going crazy and, 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 and gosh knows what's going on out there and, and money flying everywhere. And who does this guy think he is? And then he quotes, you know, my house should be a house of prayer and you've made it a robber's den. Where do you think he got that quote? or at least the robber's den parts of it. The same thing Jeremiah did when he went into the places that were intended to be sacred some 600 years before the time of Jesus. And here we have the weeping prophet. I think what is happening here is that Jesus is just walking in. Jeremiah has prefigured the ministry of Jesus. And I think that Jesus prefigures in many ways the path that we are called to follow. Do you weep? for the Coachella Valley? Do you weep for your neighbor? Do you weep for the plight of America? Do you weep? Or is it just a feeling of, ah, oh, our country's going to hell and blah, blah, blah. And you just, it, it's more of a feeling of uh, vitriol than it is anything else. Do you weep over the plight 
of America today or the place that you live or the business that you work in or whatever it is or the club that you live in, do you weep over that club? Until we weep, we really won't, really won't care about the places in which we live. And I'm preaching to me too. It is easy to become cynical. I've probably caught myself in places of cynicism more in the last two or three years than I ever remember in all of my life. I have just gotten a little bit hardened. I don't weep. I remember early in ministry several decades ago, I'd, I'd go up 74, I'd make, I'd wind around, wind around. There's a place you could go out there. There's a couple of overlooks. I'd go up there and look down over this valley and literally tears would come to my eyes. Now, is that me just trying to muster up some kind of emotive response? I don't think so. It just felt like the Spirit of God in me was like, look at all this glory and this wealth and this extravagance and this beauty, and look how far this Coachella Valley is from my presence. And I'm not saying there aren't great churches here. I'm not saying that there aren't a godly remnant here. But there are so many here that are, don't know their left hand from their right in a spiritual sense. Do you weep over that? And I've just felt in the last two, three, four years, you know, you just get up and you do ministry and, and I just like, Lord, I've lost my mourning for this valley. I don't know if I weep anymore. I don't know. if, And I want it. I want to be like Jesus. Again, I'm asking you, take yourself to that place. What would it have been like to be near Jesus as he looks over Jerusalem and he prophesies the clear destiny? And we know historically that's exactly what happened. These are not just biblical stories. They are that, but they're backed up by every extant manuscript. We know that Titus and they, we know exactly what happened to Israel at that moment in time. And he looked over and he just wept over it. He was weeping over the very people that were going to be yelling, crucify him, crucify him. Do we weep over the people that persecute us? Do we weep over a culture that thinks we, that marginalizes us and thinks we're the problem uh, uh, and that everything is really predicated on, on, on us as weird, far right extremists. They politicize us. They do everything. And and we're the problem. We're the enemy of the state. And do we still have the capacity? Do we still have the capacity to weep over the same culture? Jeremiah did. And Jesus did. And I want that same kind of spirit in myself. I want that for 2024. There's part of me that doesn't want it. But there's part of me that does. Matthew chapter 16 and I'm thankful for Whitney Willard, who, if you'll remember a couple, uh, two weeks ago, prior to Christmas, Jeremiah was, in a sense, a grief bearer. He kind of bore the grief for uh, Israel's sins, in a way. And we looked at that in more detail. Matthew 16, verse 13. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he was asking his disciples... Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, well, some say John the Baptist. Like a risen John the Baptist. And others think maybe you're Elijah. And still others, some, there, there, there are any number of people that we know that think that you're Jeremiah. Or one of the prophets. There were people during the time of Jesus that thought Jesus was a resurrected Jeremiah. Jeremiah. Now, what would give them the thought 
that that would be the case because he seemed to be kind of an enemy of the state, a little bit like Jeremiah was an enemy of the state and pretty much all the prophets that were, sunk, that were stoned and, and rejected by a nation. And that was the accusation clearly that we'll see in Matthew 23 of Jesus as well. So there were many that thought, well, Jesus, he's an enemy of the state. Jeremiah certainly was an enemy of the state. But in the end, Jeremiah was right. And we're wondering if, well, in the end, Jesus might be right. The evidence plays out pretty well over 2,000 years that, well, Jesus was right. So, again, Jeremiah, he roughly 40 years of just getting up one day after another. He was ignored. He was challenged. He was, he was, he was public humiliation. He was put in the stocks. He was thrown down a well, a cistern, an old cistern in the mud down there and would have died except for an Ethiopian eunuch called Ebed-Melech, uh, a servant of the king. That's all Ebed-Melech means. He was a servant of the king. Uh, he was beaten. He was, what a horrible ministry. Now, what's so fascinating to me about that is that I could see maybe, maybe if a guy gets, okay, this is what you're, this is Jeremiah, this is what I want you to do. And you go out and you give them one good word and, uh, and then they reject it. And then you go off into hiding. I mean, that'd be bad enough that you'd be thrown outside your tribe and thrown outside into the wilderness and have to live as a, a refugee of someone, an escapee, a, a guy on the run. That'd be one thing. But for over 40 years to be rejected over and over and over, and the primary message is, you guys are going to be leveled. Babylon's going to destroy you. In fact, in fact, Nebuchadnezzar is actually the very servant of the God that you worship. What kind of message was that? Can you imagine being given that task? Only God could give that task. Who else would even stay the course? I've got to tell you, Jeremiah does something in me because there are times, you know, here in this valley after, you know, probably half the time, you know, multiple decades of doing this, you kind of get up and you do the same thing over and over. And there are times that my, my eyes are just kind of glazed over and I'm going to a fellowship. I'm like, Lord, I got nothing. You're going to have to give me something to say at this group, you know, these links fellowships or you know, preaching or doing something and you just do it over and over and you just get up and you just do the work and you just get up and do it again. Whether you feel up or whether you feel down, whether your circumstances are good, whether your circumstances are bad, whether the church is growing or whether the church is shuttered, whatever it is, or the group or the people or whether or not they all turn on you or it doesn't matter, get up do the work. And, and when I get exhausted, I think about Jeremiah and I still have people that love me and care for me and provide for me and my family. And I have more people that honor me. Jeremiah had none of that and he did it for over 40 years. And I just think, what a wimp I am. I am such a wimp that I would ever even have a bad day relative to Jeremiah. And, but listen and see. Listen and just listen to these words. Listen to how it all started. It was so enticing. Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 4. What would you have thought if God had given you a word like this? Well, it's just, you know, and I meet new people that just get into ministry and now, and I think, you know, they're just thinking their whole life is going to be like this. 
You know, it's always going to be more people are going to be coming to Christ and it's always going to be wonderful. And there's a, and then you realize and you go, man, it's hard. It's hard following in Jesus' footsteps. Talking to one of our elders this week and he said, you know, it was just a hard year and I expected more fruit and it was less. And, you know, just, it's hard. But this is how it started with Jeremiah. And we'll close this morning with this vision. And then we're going to get into, and I'm going to show you some extraordinary similarities between the life of Jesus and the life of Jeremiah and the significance of that for you and me in the 21st century. Jeremiah 1 verse 4 says, Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, it's Jeremiah. And this is quoted all the time. There's almost never a place in ministry that somehow you don't get this quote. Before I formed you in the womb, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. <laughs> and before you were born, I consecrated you, meaning I set you apart for this extraordinary task. How much of a say did Jeremiah have in that? Before you were even born, I set you apart for a task. Now, a lot of people, they just say, oh, that was interesting for Jeremiah. I still believe that happens every single day. I think there are babies that are being born that have already been, been consecrated, set apart for a task that God has for them. They'll have to choose to walk in it, as did Jeremiah, and hang in there, but there's a task. And then, and then I said, alas, Lord, by the way, that's, and he goes on to say, I've appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Well, who, who would want that? A prophet to the nations? Why? I'll take that job. You know, uh, you know, a prophet to the nations. I, I can see, you know, uh, you know, I see all these, you know, I want a big title here, right? Prophet to the nations. And maybe a hat, prophet to the nations. And I'll, I'm a pro oh, here he comes. Here's that. And everybody bow. Prophet to the nations, appointed by God, consecrated, fantastic. What a, what a start. And the Lord said to me, do not say, and, and excuse me, he says, behold, I don't know how to speak. He says, oh God, I don't know how to speak because I'm a youth. And the Lord said to me, don't say that you're a youth because everywhere I send you, you shall go. And all that I command you, you shall speak. So that's encouraging. Everywhere I go, he's going to put the right words in my mouth. I'm going to say the right thing at the right time. And I'm sure he's thanking everybody because it's going to be the word from the Lord. Everybody's going to be like, that's extraordinary. Thank you for that word. Oh, Jeremiah, come over to my house. I'm going to feed you and I'll, you can stay in my house. And, and uh, oh, this is going to be fantastic. I'm, I'm sure when he's getting this call and he's thinking, okay, well, if you'll give me the words, this is going to be great. Enemy of the state. Prophet to the nations. Do not be afraid of them. And this is the place where God comes in, gives him a little bit of a, throws a little cold water on his party here. For I am with you to deliver you. The Lord stretched out his hand and he touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, behold, I have put my words in your mouth. I've appointed you this day over the nations and over the kingdoms to pluck up and to break down, to destroy and to overthrow to build and to plant. In other words, I have given you extraordinary authority. A little bit like the donkey brigade. You don't understand the power that you wield as someone who has the indwelling presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. 
If you've come to recognize yourself as a sinner and you see yourself in need of salvation and you've chosen to follow Jesus, you've been baptized and been filled with the Spirit, you have no idea the authority that you carry in a culture. This culture will mock you and denigrate you and make you feel like nothing but a weird, right, far-right, fanatical goofball. That's what this culture wants to do. But I'm telling you with the full authority of Scripture that if you are walking in the power of the Spirit, you have been given authority that you couldn't fathom to advance the kingdom in the context of community and your gift. Now, (laughs) it's easy to talk about, get a little excited, and we hit the door and we go out and our day continues and we get ready for festivities and you know what we're going to do for the new year and all this and we somehow it diminishes in our mind do not I don't want that to diminish in my mind I'm walking in unparalleled authority because I have the living God on the inside of me and I know that I and then we by extension have collectively been given a task to go into a culture that doesn't know what makes for peace What are we going to do with that? Tear down, break down. Now, see, our nations, they're, they're spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. When I say enemy of the state, in a current situation, what I'm really saying is that we're an enemy of the natural state of affairs in a fallen world. I'm not talking about geopolitical alliances and what's happening in the scene realm and we need to get a militia here or something like that and go, you know, get a bunch of guns because we're going to pluck up and tear down. And if we're not talking about the scene realm, are we? We're talking about the unseen. Our battle is not against actual nations, flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities and spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly dimensions or places. That's our, where authority lies. And that's where Jesus knew his authority was. So when Pilate says, are you a king? Yes, but not of the realm that you're thinking about, Pilate. I have authority like you can't believe, and there's coming a day when I will exercise my authority over not only the unseen realm, but over the seen realm. And when I come back, it's going to all be set right. And that gives me hope for 2024. But I want to participate now. I want to be involved in 2024 in exactly what Jesus did here. I want to weep over this valley. I want God's heart for a place and people. I don't want to say, oh, these people are nice and we enjoyed playing golf with them. Or I don't want that. I want to see them as Jesus sees them. And I want to weep over their condition if they're separated from the creator of their soul. I want to drive, I want that to drive me. I want it to drive us in 2024. We'll be a different church if we do. We'll be a different church if we do. Because we have been given all kinds of authority. But in the scene realm, we'll be riding on a bunch of donkeys. The donkey brigade weeping over the culture. Lord, would you do that in my heart? And I mean that sincerely. And then you can say the same thing. Lord, would you do that in my heart? Would you make me see what you see? And I'm telling you, that's a, ba- that's a dangerous prayer. It's a dangerous prayer. It's, hard, it's gut-wrenching to see the alienation of people that do not know what makes peace with their God. So in closing this morning, 
As I look back over 2023, we've lost a lot of people. You know, we've, uh, people have passed away. Some of you have lost spouses. Some of you have lost children. Some of you have lost, and then, and then there are other things that we've just lost, maybe health or vitality or different things. There's kind of that curse that seems to always be, be weighing on this experience that we have on earth, doesn't it? And uh, when I think about the eternal realm, I know that, well, there are no more tears there, but there may still be scars. I think we'll be able to look at Jesus' hands and see some scars. And I don't think it'll be just Jesus in the eternal state that we'll probably see some scars. We'll all probably carry some scars. It's hard to live on this planet, this fallen planet, and live in the kind of chaos and mean-spiritedness that we both give out and receive. And so, but there will be scars in heaven, but it's a glorious finish. And I'm not just trying to be melodramatic or just trying to get you to, to cry. I just, we look back over 2023, we, I mourn over things that were lost, but I'm hopeful, and we're going to even get into this deeper next week. I am hopeful for 2024. I hope you understand that. I believe we have a calling and authority. But as we look back, there's some of you that, well, you need to mourn. So look, we're, we're going to mourn with you as we look back over 2023, recognizing, but there's also hope in the eternal because Jesus is going to come and make all things right.